Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking investing lessons from a gambling pro with Chris Hanna. What does it take to become a professional gambler? That's the uh, the overarching question that we're asking our guest today, Chris Hanna. Chris graduated with a degree in finance and economics, uh, but then he turned down a solid job on Wall Street in order to become a legit blackjack player. Like literally, less than 24 hours after he graduated, uh, Chris hit the road and he began <laughs> counting cards for a living. And so now, you know, we believe that investing, that that is a far cry from gambling. Uh, but a lot of folks are treating them more similarly than they'd like to admit. So yeah, where should we draw the line between gambling and investing? Uh, we're going to unpack Chris Hanna's story. We're going to talk about his shift to personal finance um, and yeah, share how we can strategically use our money to build an exciting life. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Hey guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Chris, we're glad to have you. And uh, the first question we ask 
anybody who stops by to visit the How to Money Show is what do you like to splurge on? Because Matt and I, we, we like to drink craft beer and sometimes we spend way too much on it, or at least what some people would deem way too much. We're drinking one right now, a that's, brown ale. That's right. We, we, we disagree, of course, uh, that, that you should in the here and now spend money on things that you care about. What's one of those things in your life? Yeah. And I know you guys like to ask this question. And so, um, I feel so lame saying it, but I do love spending money on books, primarily business, finance, marketing, personal development books. There's sort of nothing non- lame about buying books, Chris. <laughs> no unless, shame in that game. Uh, in terms unless of the- you can borrow them for free <laughs> That's right. from, from your local yeah. library. But the other thing too is I just started getting more and more into um, like hiking and, and camping. So I imagine I'm going to be splurging quite a bit more on that kind of gear, um, new backpack, some nice. some better hiking shoes and, and the like. Nice. I like spending money on outdoor gear. Actually, REI, Backcountry, those are both sites that can uh, tend to steal. Not steal. They get a lot of my money. <laughs> <laughs> they, they give me goods as well. But uh, but yeah. Uh, Chris, let's go ahead and let's dig right in. Uh, you had some great internships you know, under your belt. You mm-hmm. graduated. You had your degree. Uh, but then you turned down a great job in order to count cards. What led you to that point? Uh, why did you sort of take this more non-conventional route? Yeah, so, yeah, like you said, I had the opportunity to either make money sitting behind a desk, playing with spreadsheets all day, more or less, uh, or travel around the country playing blackjack, betting thousands of dollars and trying not to get caught counting cards because it's, it's not <laughs> illegal, but it's, it's a one-way ticket out of there if they catch you. So, uh, I mean, just looking at it in that way, it's a pretty easy decision for a 22 year old right out of college, but also leading up to it, I had it was sort of a, um, a progression to where I slowly but surely was seeing like how I could have more and more freedom. So early on in my uh, college career, I thought that I would love to work at an investment bank somewhere on, on Wall Street. And then um, once I interned at a hedge fund, which for listeners who don't know, hedge funds are quite different than investment banks and and the type of work and the workload that you have and the amount of hours that you're working and all of that. So I saw I saw this what I call this light of uh, of hedge funds. And I thought, wow, I'm never going to an investment bank. Hmm. And then as I turned 21, I had years ago seen the movie 21. And just that was my introduction to this idea that you can actually make money counting cards. I was a numbers guy and a, and a sort of a statistics guy. So that made sense to me. And so as I was exploring what I wanted to do after school, um, well before I, I mean, this is 21. So I was probably a junior at this point. I just started practicing and counting and I got pretty decent at it, you know, a year before I needed to even take a, a job. So by the time I was, I was about to graduate, I was, you know, uh, real good. I mean, I'm trying to be humble here, but I mean, we were, I practiced a lot. I mean, every single day we were practicing, uh, my roommate and I. And so at that nice. point, I saw this light of, you know what? I could probably make money playing blackjack. I am never going to go work at a hedge fund. So it was just slowly this progression of, of more and more freedom of, of an ability to make money on my own. Uh, and that's ultimately why I chose that path. So is it as easy as it looks in the movies, like uh, <laughs> learning that skill and, and harnessing it and getting good at it? It's funny. So counting itself is actually not very difficult. I think when I saw that movie, I was in high school. And even then, well before I was 21, I got pretty decent just counting through a deck of cards. Uh, In order to play blackjack professionally, you've got to combine several skills. So counting cards is one of them. Um, You also have to memorize roughly 75 plays that cover every single possible hand that you could get with every single, virtually every single variation of the count. Mm -hmm. So um, once you memorize all those plays and you memorize 
and you know how to count, then you also have to be able to estimate how many cards have been played from the deck so that you can see how many cards are remaining and calculate something called the true count. Um, and you also have to be able to kind of do all of this together, bet the right amount as well. That changes with the count. Uh, and then do kind of do all of these mental gymnastics while you're pretending to be a regular gambler because you cannot be sort of hawk-eyed looking at every single card coming out. That and, would be me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's something that you get better at, but yeah. um, it, it, there are a lot of different skills that kind of go into it. So the counting itself is easy, but all in all, it, it took a lot of work. Yeah. I think my palms would be sweaty like the entire time. Oh my gosh. Honestly, I feel like my palms are sweaty right now just hearing you talk through this, Chris, because I'm imagining myself in this situation. And I would totally be the guy, like, I think I could do the counting. I think I could do mm -hmm. the uh, just everything that's required to actually know what cards are, you know, might be coming up. Do the memorization. Mm -hmm. But the ability to multitask. Uh, I'm terrible at multitasking. I'm a, like a laser focus kind of guy. I can sometimes have a difficult time even enjoying a beer while we, re you know, record the podcast. Did anyone ever come up to you at the table like so another gambler and they just completely throw you off your game because they start chit chatting? Uh, no, but I, the reverse was true because when you oh. count, you, there's, there's like the, the book, so to speak, which is just basic strategy. It's a list of like 15 or 20 plays essentially. And people generally expect you to play by the book, even though I can say with pretty good certainty that virtually almost no one actually plays 100% by the book, which is the best way to actually gamble and play blackjack is, is by playing by the book. But when mm. you count cards, now you've introduced over 50 variations of that basic strategy. So 50 different plays. And so it really can uh, get on people's nerves when you start doing things that look ridiculous. And I've cleared tables before. I'll make a play and people just get up and leave. So the reverse is probably true more than <laughs> is uh, on the other side. Well, so I mean, is that because they knew that you were counting or that they, they just knew that you were that good? I guess uh, I mean, no, no, no. They think oh, I'm an idiot and, and oh, I'm just okay. making terrible plays. And, they, gotcha. and people are so superstitious that they say, you know, if you're not playing by the book, you're going to screw up my next hand. That and, kind of thing. And you're like, I'm playing by the advanced playbook, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, ahead. it's funny because when the count starts getting better and better and these variations come into play, it's actually better for us to have a table cleared. So, I mean, the worst thing that can you can, you know, that can happen is you're sitting at a really you know, heavy, high count, and you've got five other people at a table, you load up your bet, and then everyone else gets a blackjack except for you. So it's, it's actually in my best interest if everyone else leaves. Hmm. Gotcha. Got it. Yeah. Well, so why blackjack specifically? I mean, I assume that there are, I mean, do you have better odds playing blackjack and winning money, you know, compared to poker? Uh, why, why is it that you chose blackjack specifically? Yeah, I was introduced to blackjack, so it made sense to me, and I don't think I really explored other things after that. It just sounded fun. Um, I, I was doing magic tricks, card tricks at a young age, so I was already sort of familiar and holding a deck of cards a lot. David Blaine was a, a big inspiration for me, and so he nice. said everywhere he went, he had a deck of cards, and that's kind of what I did for a while. So when I heard about blackjack and, and making money that way, uh, I didn't look too far sort of sideways. Um, and poker is a game against other people. Blackjack is a game, one-on-one -on -one game against, you know, the house. So it's it's a very finite, like, you, you play like a computer with uh, with poker. I don't know the first thing about poker, not really, um, but it's it's just a completely different game. Got it. So you're, yeah, you're more 21, less rounders. Uh. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of that, like, uh, when the movie Rounders is obviously just, uh, was an instant classic. And Phenomenal. Yeah. And, and so, but relying on gambling as a source of income, that's kind of what you were doing. Like, this was your, this was your day job. And that had to be kind of emotionally tough. Like, can you talk, talk us through, like, how, how did it go, the highs and lows of winning and losing? And did that impact how you play? Because there's, there's no way to completely divorce emotion from, from what you're doing. 
Yeah, at first it was really tough to stomach those swings. On on any given night, we could be up or down thousands of dollars. And when we were when as we were relying on that as a source of income, that really hurt. If we were down several thousand dollars and we knew that rent was coming up, um, because mm-hmm. we had hit a really good streak and it sort of gave us the confidence to sign an apartment lease. This is my blackjack partner and I. So we signed an apart apartment lease just as with blackjack as our only source of income. Um, at first, it was kind of tough to stomach. Eventually, after seeing the swings um, trend upwards, that's when it, seeing that and understanding the math behind it, we just sort of started to accept it as part of the game. And so eventually, we yeah, we could walk out of there up, up or down hundreds or thousands of dollars and really not pay much mind to it. We're just like, hey, wow. we got to get more hands in in order to uh, see our expected value. It's just like another day, another dollar. Well, yeah, eventually. Yeah, I mean, when specifically here, you are approaching Blackjack almost as a career, like a job. Um, but how do you, I mean, d- d- does that change your recommendation or your thoughts towards gambling in general? Like, how do you think folks, like everyday <laughs> folks, uh, how they should approach uh, gambling a little bit? Yeah, so I'm, I'm biased here because, again, I like numbers and I like statistics. So I hate gambling because I know that okay. I over the long run, I'm going to lose if I'm just gambling. And uh, it's it's like, a, what does Matt Damon say when he's getting out of the car? They always they always insist on calling it luck. And so mm. the, the whole like professional gambler, like I, I understand that that's how people understand it, but in no way, shape or form was I gambling, nor was, you know, my blackjack partner, we were investing. Mm. So um, I, yeah, I do not like gambling, but for people, it can be really fun. You know, if you're not betting everything, if you just want to take a, a you know, few bucks here and there and, and go gamble and have some fun, go, get some good food at the casino, whatever it might be, um, see a show. Yeah, by all means gamble. But um, yeah, for me though, I, I don't like it. Okay. So yeah. So, okay. What's the difference then between what most people do when they go to the casino and it's gambling and what you do? So yeah, you're right. When I'm reconsidering rounders, I'm like, no, Matt, Matt Damon's character has a plan, right? (laughs) Uh, And, and, and so he views it completely differently. And then, yeah, when you look at the people who are historically successful at the World Series of Poker, it's some of the same names that pop up year after year that make it to the final 30, the final table. And that's not luck. Yeah. Uh, There's there's obviously skill involved. Exactly. Like I read Maria Konnikova's book about about uh, learning to become a professional poker player and learning from mm. the best from Eric Seidel. It was a great book. And mm. it just helps you realize like, no, there's like systems in place in order to profit. So yeah, like how how are you, uh, yeah, what, what's the difference there in your mind and how are you not a gambler and actually investing while you're doing this? Yeah, so the, the two main things, the two main components are the knowledge that you have and your bankroll management. You've really got to have both of those in order to consider what you're doing as investing. Simply, like I'll give you an example, even just knowing what I know and having the skills that I have to play blackjack, if I don't have a proper bankroll and if I'm just over betting, I'm still gambling despite all the knowledge that I have. So I can play, you know, by anyone else's standards, I can look like I'm, I'm counting and doing all this stuff, but if I'm not managing a bankroll properly, I'm still gambling. And the reverse is true too. It, I'm, you could have a, a regular gambler walk in and maybe he's only betting you know, at, at most 1% of his entire bankroll on any given hand, something like that. But if he's just, you know, if he is not counting cards, if he's not turning that edge over to himself and away from the house, then he's gambling as well. And the same is true with uh, stocks. People think that just because they're investing, they're buying stocks that they're automatically investing in stocks. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. You know, we can have two different people. One just hears that it's a good stock to buy and 
buys it. The other one uh, has done their due diligence, researched the heck out of that company and really understands it and the industry. And when they buy a share of that company, it, that's more than likely an investment where the other guy is, is just gambling. Right. Yeah. So knowledge, it plays a, a massive role when it comes to the differences there. And we're going to mm-hmm. talk more too, Chris, about how just the, the intersection of gambling and investing and how a lot of folks are getting it wrong. But I mean, in the end, like, how did you do when it came, when it came to your career? So we won't call it gambling anymore. We'll call it your <laughs> profession. Uh, yeah. Like, how did you do while you were a professional blackjack player? Yeah, we did great at the casinos. I mean, all of our numbers looked great, but we just did not have a big enough bankroll to support the draws that we were taking. I mean, that was a big learning moment for us as we started to, like I said, hit hit a downswing and then have to pay rent. Now you're talking about our bankroll is down maybe 25% in a matter of days. And, uh, you know, in the personal finance community, we like to talk about this 4% rule, 4% withdrawal rule. Um, and we were withdrawing way more than 4%. So um, on on paper, it looked good, but we, we probably would have needed uh, four times as much of a bankroll as what we were playing with in order to really support ourselves. So basically, you need somebody with fat stacks like How to Money Matt to bankroll your next endeavor. Is <laughs> that's that what right. you're saying? That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the kind of investment I hear he's looking to make, Chris. <laughs> That'll be Joel's next endeavor. Is, uh, yeah, <laughs> or you guys can do it together. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll work out and we'll work uh, blackjack together and um, you guys can play on your own. Well, you know, like this is a part of why we had you on the show because we just found this topic fascinating, the ability to actually do something that a lot of people just do for fun, but mm-hmm. you just tweak it ever so slightly. You tip that balance and all of a sudden it's something that you consistently make money on and that, yeah that's a big part of why we wanted to have you on the show Chris like I mentioned we want to ask you more about investing and just the mindset that goes into investing how you got into investing more of your money uh, versus what a lot of people call gambling and we'll get to all of that right after this break Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money you probably think it's too soon to join aarp right well let's take a minute to talk about it where do you see yourself in 15 years more specifically your career your health your social life What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. 
So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. Joel, so we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back. We're talking with Chris Hanna. And Matt, I think in the intro and in the title of this episode, we we said uh, with the, that we were talking with gambling pro Chris Hanna. I think we're going to have to change the title of this episode. How <laughs> about that last segment? That's what's going to pull people in. Because okay. when you say gambling, you know that yeah, you're talking yeah. about That's like... That's what people understand oh, it as. Is it's it roulette? Is it a clickbait headline? Is it blackjack? Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, since we're talking about you know, making money at the, you know, in the through casino. Gaming. Yeah, through gambling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's become even more common, right? With the gambling is just, uh, I think it's more accessible than ever before in the form of like sports gambling and how, you know, easy apps are making it to place a bet on different things. We Matt and I talked about, you know, penny bid sites recently on the show. And those in my mind are another form of gambling. And, you know, there's just the, the investing apps, the pro- proliferation of apps like Robinhood, and so that, like you said, it's it kind of seems like it's not gambling. What's your take on those apps? Because, uh, yeah, are, are those a good thing? Creating an army of investors, democratizing the system, or are they leading people down like a, a flawed path? Yeah, that's an excellent question. It, it, I love the fact that more people have access to it. People love to hate on Robinhood for what happened during the sort of GameStop debacle, and maybe even rightfully so. But what they've done for the sort of investment community has been huge. And if you're sort of just getting into the game and you, you might feel um, 
you, you probably are just kind of taking for granted the fact that you can buy and sell these securities, these whatever it might be for no commission costs. Because um, I mean, when I started investing uh, over 10 years ago, I was paying $10 Every time I wanted to buy yep. something, and ten dollars every time I wanted to sell. Yeah, and before you that, the e -trade. E -trade. exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. The e -trade. I love those Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> um, uh, but before that, it was even more expensive. And so Robinhood came in, and they, you know, created this business model where they could offer commission-free trading, and it caused all the other brokers to want to be, you know, still competitive and uh, and cut their commission costs to some, in many cases, zero as well. So I, I love that aspect of it. But where people are getting into trouble is they're thinking that because they are buying something that other people invest in, that they are now automatically also investing. And that's just not the case. That's right. Well, I mean, and not to mention as well, just the fact that with Robinhood specifically, you're getting pushed into brokerage accounts. Like that's one of the things that we hate about Robinhood is that you don't have access to a tax advantaged uh, retirement account. Yeah, when they start right, offering right. Uh, access to those Roth IRAs, we'll, we'll probably like it a little more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, seriously, we will. But Chris, you know, like how have you seen some of like these apps adopting these gamification techniques. There are these <laughs> yeah. little tricks that they're employing in a similar way. Kind of like the casino does with the oxygen and the lights. Yeah. <laughs> or like the free drinks. That's yeah, right. Like there's just these little yeah. small things that are done to get you to stick around. Uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? That I don't agree with. So th it's funny, there's a, um, a sort of a special on Netflix, I think it's called Money or something with money or whatever. And, and they have a, I think there's several episodes within that series. And one of the guys that it sort of leads with uh, is this guy named Semyon Dukak. And he was actually a card counter on the original MIT Blackjack team. So it's it's interesting to see him talk about, you know, the things that he talks about. But, um, and he mentions, and they go over this this sort of gamification and the, the question marks that come up that you actually have to scratch off. I mean, there are, I, I don't agree with it because it is, the line between investing and gambling is already blurred. They're, I don't like that they're also blurring it even more um, of their own accord. So I, I don't agree with that. Yeah, so it's that's a, that, I love the how great the user interface is on an yeah. app like Robinhood, but sadly, like we push people towards the crappier user interfaces because mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes that's a better behavioral technique for people to consider. Yeah, and I I think that for people who are just getting into it, Robinhood is fine just to sort of. Like even if you buy one share of anything, even if you sign up with someone else's um, like code and you get your free stock, the, the thing that I love about Robinhood and their commission-free trades and all that is that um, it just gets you involved and it gets you, it, it starts sparking your interest in the stock market. Because yeah. if you own any stock, you're gonna pay more attention to the stock market. Yep. You check in that thing all the time. It doesn't matter if it's $5 or $1,000. Uh, but I agree, the fact that they don't offer, I don't even, not that people should be shorting stocks, but there's just a lot of stuff that Robinhood doesn't offer um, that your your um, tax advantaged accounts. So yeah, I I think that Robinhood has its place, but for anyone who is really looking to make longer term investments, uh, particularly those that are tax advantaged, like in a Roth IRA or yeah Vanguard, Fidelity, those are those are going to be better. Yeah, well, unlike investing in the market. It, you found out, right, that counting cards, it did, at least with the current bankroll, wasn't going to be sustainable for you. Uh, that lifestyle just wasn't working out, at least at the time. So can you share what life was like for you as you were, I don't know, did you continue to try to avoid a regular job at all costs? It seems like you were <laughs> intent on not going back into that hedge fund Wall Street world. Yeah, so 
I had seen this light, this this world where you didn't have to work a regular job. And so after Blackjack sort of ran its course, I started looking for these other ways to make money. And uh, I started driving for Uber and Lyft. I found a role as a financial literacy instructor. So I was teaching these after school um, classes to stock market clubs and the like to kids um, grades K through 12. I was tutoring a, a high school student Monday through Thursday. I was babysitting a couple of young boys Monday through Thursday. And then I also um, signed up for a, an app called TaskRabbit. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In, yeah. in Atlanta, yeah. So <laughs> they're all over the place now. And this uh -huh. was maybe five or six years ago that I signed up with them and they had just made their way to the to the DC area. But I picked up every single task that I could, the craziest tasks uh, from the most mundane to the craziest. So uh, mundane, I'd drop off some groceries. Uh, craziest, I don't know, It's I stood in line to get reservation, dinner reservations for people. I deep cleaned apartments. Um, I, whatever you could possibly imagine, I, you know, I, I did that. Easily the craziest one is there was, there's this guy who, he had an apartment nearby, but he was on the West Coast and had been on the West Coast for about three or four weeks because he had a family emergency and he just could not make it back to his apartment. Before he left, he had thrown this massive party and did not clean up. So there were just tons of trash bags. There was open cups, beer, everything all over this place to the point where his apartment uh, called him and said, there are fruit flies flying around the outside of your apartment. And if you don't get this oh, cleaned up in 24 hours, we're going to evict you. And so he's frantically looking on TaskRabbit for someone to come clean up his apartment. Two other people had had already um, accepted the job, gone there, and then walked in and turned it down. But for me, I was, I'm like head, I just, I'll do whatever it takes. I really just, um, for better or for worse, accepted that hustle culture kind of thing. And so I went over there. I'm like, well, well screw it. I'll tie a shirt around my face and I'm just going to deep clean this apartment. And that's like what I did for six hours. Task rabbit. You were, <laughs> you were masking before it was necessary, Chris. You know, it's so funny because I didn't, I think about that now. I, now you've got masks everywhere. I did not have a mask. I had like a spare jujitsu sort of shirt in my trunk and that's what I tied around my face. But yeah, that was the craziest one easily. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, you, so you just mentioned jujitsu. When did you get into that? Because, you know, I know that's a part of your story. Eventually that led to you, you know, you enjoyed it. But can, can, yeah, fill, fill us in on that because it sounded like that wasn't something that you were able to pursue uh, maybe because of the like the physical pain. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of things. I, I fell in love with jujitsu the summer before I went off to college. That was back okay. in 2011. And I, I trained all summer. And then when I went off to college, I tried to find a local sort of gym and between classes and sort of what I would have to do to actually get to the gym on any sort of consistent basis, it just wasn't going to work out. So I had had this longing to train like hard. I, I loved it. I was, I've always been an athlete. And so I really just wanted to, to dive into it. And um, I wasn't able to for four years right after I'd fallen in love with it. So I kind of had to push it aside. Hmm. Once I graduated, I was doing whatever I could to, uh, to train. So blackjack for sure, um, you know, I pursued because it was this way that I could make money that didn't require me to sit a regular office job, but it also allowed me to train jujitsu sometimes five times a week, twice a day, sometimes even more, like on the weekends too. Hmm. And um, eventually, blackjack didn't work out uh, uh, after a certain amount of time, and I was sleeping on a friend's couch so I didn't have to pay rent at a normal spot. <laughs> um, I was sleeping in my car for a period of time, and uh, believe it or not, I was looking up just the, the craziest sort of accommodations that I could find in order to continue supporting myself in that way. So um, I was looking at these YouTubers who were living in um, 
storage facilities. I was like, if I can sleep for a few hours in that storage <laughs> facility or, or campgrounds, I'm like, if I can put up a tent and that's cheaper. So like I said, for better or for worse, I really, more for worse, I think, but really <laughs> embrace that sort of hustle culture, do whatever it takes. And um, between that, just not being sustainable for, for a long period of time. And yeah, and, and I just had this neck pain. I had a minor injury, but it was like, it affected me every single day for months, even for a couple months after I stopped training. Now it's good, but um, there were a lot of reasons why I ended up stopping. Yeah. All right. I want to know at any point during this, when you're thinking about sleeping in storage <laughs> units, are you ever reflecting on the fact that you're well-educated and could go get paid pretty well, uh, pretty easily if you just kind of crawl back to <laughs> the job that you're avoiding? <laughs> also, how did your parents feel about you during this stage? So it's funny because... That was always in the back of my mind. I knew I had that safety net and it actually enabled me to take those sort of dumb-ish uh. risks. I knew that if this did not work out, I could always fall back on a degree, on a good internship that I had, I, I all of those things. Uh, I grew up middle class. Like if I had to had to go back home, I could. It, you know, they, my parents didn't kick me out. I just, my roommate and I, we just said to ourselves, we're going to find a way to kind of start you know, life on our own, and we are not going to go back home. We'll do whatever it takes to not. So, um, and what do they? Th what do my parents think about it? Uh, they they had an idea of kind of what was going on. They knew I was working hard, but they. I only just recently told my mom about sleeping in my car. I don't think I've ever said that I <laughs> in, I, I um, contemplated sleeping in a storage unit uh, or a campground or anything like that. But they they supported me the best that they could and let me know how they felt uh, in the most respectful way that they could. Well, I mean, Chris, like I've, I'm with you because essentially you are resisting the urge to go back to the corporate world, you know, the nine to five. And once you have a taste of that freedom, like you mentioned earlier on, it is tough to say, OK, I'm going to go back to having to commute or go into work, uh, you know, by a certain time every single day if you're not doing it for yourself. I don't know. All that, I <laughs> will say cleaning that, doing that task rabbit cleaning does not sound like freedom to me, Matt. <laughs> no. But at least he could have done it. He had the choice to do it or, or, or to not do it. But but Chris, so like you're talking about jujitsu and you, even now, you, you currently do a good amount of work uh, with different jujitsu athletes. But I've got to think that being really good at that requires like a unique set of skills, right? Like just all the, I don't know, a lot of physical demands. There's a different discipline that goes into training. It's like strategy, just like counting cards. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so, like, I guess my question for you here is, like, like, do you think any of those skills also translate, like, particularly well to personal finance? Are there certain things that you see folks who are really into jujitsu do they do something really well when it comes to their money? So the clients that I work with or started working with are were UFC fighters. I still work with some now and uh, they're at the highest level. So it's um, in the UFC, they train mixed martial arts. So that's jujitsu is the ground game. They might also train Muay Thai for their striking or Taekwondo or something. But I mean, they're at the highest level of fighting. And yeah, I mean, they are disciplined. Like they're, that's one of the things that I love. They're disciplined and they enjoy being coached. I mm. really... Um, resonate with that because I, I like to think of myself as disciplined and I love being coached. I mean, just take someone that knows uh, is where I want to be. Tell me exactly what to do and I'll do it. And so for them, they follow a very similar path when they're training. They've got their striking coach, their jujitsu coach, their their um, uh, their nutritionist, and they're, they see them as experts and just listen to them. And so for me, they see me as an expert in managing money. And when I tell them you should be doing this or shouldn't be, uh, they listen. And so uh, for sure, there are elements that cross over. Hmm. 
Yeah. Hey, Chris, we got a few more questions to get to, including your dislike for budgeting. We'll talk about that (laughs) and more right after this break. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money you probably think it's too soon to join aarp right well let's take a minute to talk about it where do you see yourself in 15 years more specifically your career your health your social life What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Joel, so we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're (laughs) You're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. 
and you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back from the break and we're talking with Chris Hanna. A former professional blackjack player, and Chris, you know, we were working our way through your story, and uh, we're, we're kind of touching on the part in your life now where you are now coaching MMA fighters, ultimate fighters, uh, that kind of thing. As we've read about you some, like we found that you have some unconventional thoughts on budgeting. Specifically, you're not a big fan. Uh, can you share why that is? <laughs> yeah, so I once I sort of... Uh, decided that I wanted to take a more active role in my personal finances, I started trying all the traditional, uh, we'll call them money management methods that almost everyone tries when they first start. So a budget, uh, the tracking your expenses, using the cash envelopes. I had tried all these different things. And really what I, it took me a while to sort of recognize what was, what I really wanted out of it. So what I wanted was to decide clearly what to do with my money, ensure that I stuck to those decisions, and then track and organize the decisions and my money in an efficient way. And so uh, the reason I don't like budgeting is because it's just way too complicated. And budgeting almost necessarily requires that you track your expenses. And actually, that is a thing that I dislike most. That Hmm. to me is an unsustainable Um, practice. Like if you're trying to make a long-term habit change, it's got to be, James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits, he talks about it being um, easy, obvious, you know, rewarding. I forget what the other one is, but like when when it's too difficult to maintain, you're not going to stick to it. And that's why I really don't like uh, tracking expenses, um, which classic budgeting requires. Do you you think that comes down to a personality type? Because Matt and I uh, debate this here in the studio from time to time in our basement apartment studio. Uh, (laughs) uh, He is certainly much more of a budger. He has like detailed budgets back to 2006. What? 2007. Literally every penny I've spent. So yeah, Chris, I'm going to fall on the other other side of the fence here. So he will crawl through the computer and beat you up just for saying what you said, Chris. I'll tell you that. Uh, Me, on the other hand, I side more with you. And yeah, I wonder if it's just, are you a more unconventional thinker? Is is your approach just different? Because uh, I'm, you know, we talk about budgeting a lot here on the show and I think that different styles, different methods fit different people. Uh, and so to, I, I would never want to tell anybody that like budgeting is a waste of time. But for some people, especially people who are have the knowledge uh, and and have the dedication to uh, to certain goals in their lives, like budgeting can be. I don't want to say a waste of time, but it can take up a whole lot of time and it might not be necessary in some folks cases. Yeah. So I'll say this. Right. It does work obviously, because people are doing it and um, it's just, it's just really inefficient when you compare it to using something that I call a cash flow tracker. And so I've come now to understand these three principles of managing money. And if budgeting and expense tracking was the only way to successfully manage your money, then I'd say by all means do it. But now that I have an understanding of a more efficient way, like it's just, I will die on this hill. Like it is just not nearly as efficient um, to budget and track your expenses. So managing money, right, has 
three essential elements and the goal is to use your money in the most effective way possible to live the life of your dreams in whichever way that impacts you your family your friends even strangers around the world uh, so principle number one is to decide what to do with your money so every time that you earn money and before you spend a dime you have the opportunity to decide exactly what to do with that money and then the second principle is to ensure that you stick to those decisions because a plan is only as good as your ability to execute it. And that's why people love the cash envelope system because they divvy up their money. It goes in separate envelopes. And then they, as long as they only use each envelope for its intended purpose, they're now sticking to those decisions. They've made a plan and they're sticking to it. But cash envelopes are outdated nowadays because you've got banks, online banks like Ally, which has, you can open up as many checking and savings accounts as you want with no minimum balances, none of those, you know, uh, hidden fees. And so you can just replace cash envelopes with bank accounts. Yeah. And if you're really smart about it, you can reduce your budget categories down to like two or three spending categories. You don't need a whole bunch of like the budget that you're making, Joel, I'm sure you could filter down a lot of that stuff into just two or three spending categories. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I could get super granular and talk about how much I'm spending on my toothbrushes every year. Exactly. That's just overkill. And the broader I keep it, the the less it affects my sanity. And and so, yeah, I, I want to have those broad-based goals and broad-based numbers so that I kind of know where, where things are generally going. But the more specific I get, the more I feel like it detracts from what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and, and so then principle number three, in terms of the tracking, um, you want to track it in an efficient and organized way, in a way that makes sense to you, because you don't actually care about every single expense. You care about the category as a whole. So for example, you don't need to know that you spent your money 20 different times on food during the month. You just need to know the total amount that you spent on food for the month. And that way you can uh, make changes the following month if you'd like to. So what I do now is I just use a cash flow tracker. I've been meaning to get one up on my website uh, as like a freebie. I haven't done it yet. So if, if you guys or listeners, if you'd like one, just shoot me a message. I'm happy to send it to you. And you could even just create your own. It's just an, um, you have your income at the top. Uh, let's say that you receive some amount of money. And along the side, along the left-hand side, you've got your list of budget categories. And you just divvy up. You just go down that list. And you divvy up the money from your income into each of those categories. And as long as you transfer the money into those accounts or put the cash into the envelopes, um, you've now decided what to do with your money. If you've transferred the money, you're ensuring that you stick to those decisions. And now you've tracked it because now you don't need anything further. You, you know what you've done with your money. So do you spend out of those individual accounts then? Like, I guess, like, how, how do you actually perform those transactions then? Because, I mean, honestly, like, as you're describing this, it sounds to me like a lot like a budget. <laughs> because I'm like, well, I've got my different categories, and then I track those expenses and copy and paste them over. Well, like, what, what do the actual mechanics of you keeping up with those expenses look like so that you are sticking to what you've decided to actually do? Yeah. So in the classic sense of a budget, it sort of requires expense tracking. So I do, I do have an original budget. I'm just not sort of, you know, going through that and sort of resetting it every month. Like okay. I know, uh, it, I've just really, I've gone through all the things, like all my fixed and recurring expenses, you know, how much I generally need for gas and, you know, whatever it might be, how much I want to set aside in different accounts, but I filter that all into a few different categories. And so from there, um, because I only have a few, now I can just, you know, on a piece of paper or on, it's on a spreadsheet, I just go down the list, um, put money into each uh, account. I have three primary checking accounts and a handful of different savings accounts. And then when I'm out at the store and I want to buy groceries, well, I have a, a, 
a card for needs, just general, I call it my cushion account because it's what sort of holds everything together. It's for all the miscellaneous type needs. I, I, again, I, I don't need to know the granularities of every line item, I just need it in total. And so because you are, as if you fill out this cash flow tracker, Again, you've decided what to do with your money. If you've transferred money into an account and are only using that account for its intended purpose, you're ensuring that you stick to that plan. And then if, again, if you filled out that piece of paper, you now have a, a, a record of what you've done with your money. And then there is no need to track your expenses. I feel like you guys can get along on this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it sounds like, I mean, you're actually spending out of that specific account. Is that, is that what you're exactly. saying? Exactly. That's a, the, yeah. Uh, I guess with a debit or a check card. Exactly. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know, we wanted to touch one other thing here, Chris, because you, you know, you talk about funding what you call a wealth account, you know, yeah, like as yeah. we're talking about these different accounts here, Ex explain to us what that's all about. Yeah, a wealth account, uh, you can call it whatever you'd like, but it's really just an account to invest in yourself. Um, you know, once you really understand what you can do with money and what money can do for you, uh, you will never handle it the same way again. And, and you can use a wealth account to make extraordinary changes in your life. So this could be an account that you use to learn, you know, to buy books, courses, invest in, and pay experts or coaches. Uh, you can use this account to start a side hustle or, or even a full-blown business. And you, you can use this to just bring some amazing joy into your life. If you've got a list of bucket items, um, invest, I, I still consider that, you know, uh, an investment in yourself. Like this is something that you desperately, desperately want to accomplish or want to do. Well, use money as creatively as you can to accomplish that. And so um, the other th important thing there too is when you come across, let's say that you want to learn a new skill. And let's say you come across a course that's $150 online. It's very different to have that money set aside to invest in yourself and come across this $150 opportunity. Uh, it's a lot different to do that than to say, you know, hey, I've got all, all of my money in one primary checking account. I'm paying for rent out of there, for my utilities, my insurance, and all my needs. Do I really need to spend $150 on a course? Like the, the mentality there is completely different when you are actively setting money aside in a separate account. And mm -hmm. I call that my wealth account. Yeah, it's it's almost like setting it aside, like you sit, would set aside money uh, purposefully into your Roth IRA, hopefully every month, whether it's a hundred dollars a month or whether it's five hundred dollars a month because you're trying to max that puppy out, earmarking that money and then and then putting on autopilot, make sure that you're going to use it for its intended purpose. And you're right, if it's all just like sitting in one lump sum, it's harder to pull the trigger on something that's going to be of benefit for you. And you know what? You might even use that wealth account to I don't know bankroll your uh, card account blackjack career. <laughs> absolutely, that's absolutely right. <laughs> well, uh, Chris. This has been a great conversation. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're up to? Sure, yeah. Texting me is the is the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, and either I or my assistant will get back to you. It's 240-630-0568. Uh, if you just want to follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Chris Allen Hanna. There's no H at the end of that, Hanna. Please just ignore my terribly boring earlier videos um <laughs> and if you have any questions yeah about how to manage your money or, or anything that you've heard today please reach out and ask because uh i'd love to hear from you or maybe even for some blackjack coaching sure <laughs> sure chris this has been a great conversation we really appreciate you thank you guys so much thanks matt and joel
All right, Matt. That was a super fun conversation. Yeah, it was. Involved something we don't normally talk about on the show, which yes. is... Gambling. Well... Not gambling. <laughs> <laughs> the Gam- profession of blackjack. It's gambling, not gambling. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what to call it right now, yeah. but yeah, exactly. The, career the profession. career Yeah. <laughs> his disappointment to his mom, career path. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Chris. But yeah, we really appreciate you joining us, Chris. And and, and Matt, what was your big takeaway from this episode? Because I do think that like there were, there were a lot of things, despite the yeah. interesting story that we, we could glean from this combo. Yeah, so, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway like we were talking about essentially the difference between gambling and investing and there i don't know i think he mentioned maybe a few things but one of the ones that stood out to me was the fact that knowledge that is the big difference between some people who are out there just gaming having fun uh versus those who are you know and also gambling because there's no guarantee that they're gonna you know win that money back that's the difference between those people versus somebody who is approaching this more as an investor which is what chris said he said that to him uh you know i don't know if you could technically call this investing but it was a career he knew that if he put in the time that he was going to see uh, a net positive right and so in the same way that applies to how we invest because yeah you can download Robinhood and you get the first whatever you know two or three free stocks or something like that and you can just keep I don't know buying more of those stocks or just buying this stock because you heard it in the news there's a big difference between that and buying and holding uh, low-cost widely diversified index funds yeah Uh, and so obviously that's what we are huge proponents of but that is the difference between investing and gambling uh, when you invest in the market uh, in that way you are not gambling you are investing but it was that and then he he talked about the bankroll how you need to make sure you have enough money on hand to basically smooth out the ride to weather those storms yeah and that's so important uh, especially if you are uh, more entrepreneurial minded if you Mm -hmm. own your own business uh, and you have irregular income that's incredibly necessary uh, so that you don't all of a sudden go bankrupt because of a bad month you can't pay the bills you want to be able to like you said weather those storms well that actually segues perfectly into my big takeaway which was that safety nets allow you to take big risks there you go and so I thought that was that was crucial, right? That one, Chris was like, I didn't have a big enough bankroll, but he had saved money and he was living cheaply. And so he felt like he had all these safety nets he talked about in there where, you know what, even if, if you know, things, things get worse, I can go back and live with my parents. That's what he was trying to actively avoid. Uh, but knowing that you have a backup plan can allow you to pursue your goals. And I think that's for us, like what an e-fund does for so many people. But beyond that, something we've talked about before on the show is peace out money. And having savings built up that we define as peace out money allows you to quit your job if you if it's not working out or if yeah. you just want to pursue something different or to go back to school. Like it, it just gives you so much power that- it Gives you options. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that safety net is a crucial thing allowing you to pursue some goals. It makes me think back to when I was 21 and I yeah. quit my job and took a road trip around the country- I didn't have very much money, but I had enough to do that. Yeah. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. And so it's, uh, but it is important because, yeah, you don't want to get stranded along the mm-hmm. side of the road. You got to have the money in your banking account to back your decision up. Yeah. And, and Chris did. Yeah. Literally, you could have literally been stranded on the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> if you had left for that road trip with zero dollars in the bank. Uh, and so, in the same way, just having an emergency fund will allow you to not uh, fall into debt or other tough situations if uh, you find yourself you know, receiving a massive medical bill or, you know, a roof that needs to be replaced. That's why we are huge proponents of making sure you've got at least three to six months worth of living expenses set aside. But Joe, let's go ahead and get back to the beer that you and I uh, enjoyed today. Uh, this was an almond brown ale by Tim Bloor Brewing. This was another one that was uh, sent to us by Ryan and our friends there at the brewery. What were your thoughts on this beer? Okay, so we just had 
a walnut beer last week. It's like or, chocolate, no, pecan. Well, pecan. Pecan. That's yeah, right. Yeah, we yeah, even had that discussion about it. You said like I always get them confused. You said pecan. They are very <laughs> similar. Like they look the same and they don't what? taste terribly dissimilar. They don't look the same. In the bag, all shelled, they do. Wait, what? Pecans and almonds? Walnuts. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Walnuts and pecans. Look very similar. Look similar. Yes. Yeah, they kinda look like brains. Although I think yeah, pecans are a little bit better, a little bit sweeter. Yeah, I think that's true. Although I think walnuts are actually like better for you. Okay. Uh, they've got more of those omega threes. Well, maybe I'll start eating both. <laughs> but, but today we're talking about almonds. almonds. <laughs> almonds. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, this one this one I you know, I guess I like nutty beers because uh this one definitely had that almond influence. I eat almonds almost every day for lunch. <laughs> and so uh, that, that and carrots. If anybody was ever wondering what Joel eats <laughs> here in the office for his lunch, it's little baby carrots and almonds. No, I try to avoid baby carrots. I have been lately because Costco is out of the uh, regular organic okay. carrots or whatever. But usually I cut up because baby carrots are not as good. I will tell you. Uh, but that is what I have been eating lately, <laughs> if you want to know my diet. But yes, I love almonds. I get my almond intake regularly and almond brown ale. It's just my jam. This is up my alley. It's definitely like lighter, a brown a brown ale, right? It's not like thick uh, and with a lot of viscosity like a, a stout would bring. Yeah. And But yeah, it's, it's very, very approachable. So I think of a brown ale as like one of those perfect places to start most people who aren't into beer. Totally. It's either like yep. you, you, either, uh, you either go with some sort of like lager that's super basic or if they they kind of think they might like if they like coffee in particular go to like a brown ale see yep. you know see how you feel about that and this one would be good like a good entry level beer yeah and it's not too bitter as well so especially if you like your coffee with a little bit of sugar a little bit of cream just like that nice brown coffee well i think you would like a nice brown ale similar to the porter that we had last week it's lighter in body so really easy to drink really flavorful and we are incredibly thankful again for tim blore brewing for sending this one our way uh Joel, that's going to be it for this episode. We'll make sure to uh, put any links that we may have mentioned uh, during this episode up on the website at howtomoney.com. We'll make sure to put Chris's phone number up there uh, <laughs> in case you wanted to reach out with him. Let's blow his phone number up this week. <laughs> Let's do it. But Joel, that's going to be it for today, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. 
Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.